Coming up on Money Beat, by now you've certainly heard of Snapchat. Maybe you use it. Soon enough, you're going to be able to buy it. Well, the company, at least. Snap Inc. Roadshowing their IPO. What do you need to know about this before you think about buying the stock? Possibly, Rhett Wallace is the CEO of research firm Triton. He will be here to break it down. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hey, out there in podcast land, everybody, welcome to Money Beat, where, as always, we are happy to have you listen. We're happy to have you with us. Uh, hey, you're going to talk about one of my favorite topics today. Uh, I mean, it's it's something that you love. Something I love. Almost and as much as your lawnmower. Being, being one of the, yeah, being, <laughs> being one of the hip kids, of course, you know, uh, I was I was early on to the, the whole Snapchat <laughs> thing, and, and I'm a huge user of it, and uh, so, yeah, let's talk about Snapchat a little bit. Uh, look, look uh, buzzy kind of high-tech company, big valuation. They are roadshowing this IPO, $22 billion valuation. You've seen all that reported. Uh, Maureen Farrell, who is sitting across from me, has written about it, Grocer. And, and also to talk about it in the studio today, Rhett Wallace is CEO of Triton Research, Interesting company you've got there, Rhett. We'll talk a little bit about what you do and, and how you get at these numbers. Thank you. And, and I think that's the interesting thing is the numbers, because we know a couple of big round numbers about Snap. Grocer, yes, I'm sorry, sir. Well, no, I, I was just oh. – w- the point I was going to yeah. make, and I think this is this is something that Maureen sort of hit on a lot, is whether – this Snapchat is the next Facebook or is it the next Twitter? And what I find interesting about that is what Twitter was going public, it did everything in its power to sort of be the non-Facebook. A year uh, later... Mistaken retrospect. <laughs> no, exactly. But a year later, I mean, Facebook's, you know, IPO after its IPO. Facebook looks great right. and has continued to march into becoming one of the biggest companies um, on the S&P 500. D- dominating tech company. Right. Yeah. And Twitter is can't even sell itself. Right. Um, so grosser the Despite the whole... fact that it is the preferred media outlet of the U.S. president. Right. And I'd, yeah. also, and I'd also point out that Maureen Farrell's first page one byline yeah. was of twi- Twitter hitting its, like, I think it was its all-time it high. It was its all-time high. It's grosser only remembers everything. There. Grosser, grosser remembers everything. I'm a good boss, Paul. You, I, I, I always boss. say it. But that, I, that, right I, just wanna, I just think that's a great framework to sort of like, what is this, yeah. gu- what is right. this IPO right. going to well, be? If you're looking for comparables, I think what you'd say is you would rather have Twitter's IPO than Facebook's because Facebook had a very problematic oh, yes. IPO. Yes. But you'd rather have Facebook's company than Twitter's. I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Right. So as deal examples go, I'm sure that they hope not to produce a Facebook disaster. Right. Yeah. This time. Well, well, let's – all right. Let, let's – Okay, let's deal with the IPO first before we dig into the nitty gritty of, of what this company is really worth. You know, how do they how do they go about avoiding Facebook's IPO and have Twitter's IPO? What, well, what are the mechanics of that? Well, one of the things you don't do is give the real numbers to your good customers and different numbers to other customers the way Morgan Stanley was accused of doing at the time. So mechanically, the way that the deal was handled by the underwriters You're about was Facebook. Facebook, yeah. right? So you know that's an easy self inflicted wound to not make this time. Also, you know, the, the mechanism of the market didn't really work for them during Facebook, right, which made a huge delay in the opening yeah. of the stock. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the stock was sort of below its offer price for many, many, many months after that fact, which because Mark Zuckerberg owns most of the company and was in it for the long haul, he didn't really care. He, yeah. he maximized his IPO proceeds. 
does anyone right. really remember that now, day to day? No, not right. really. Right, and they had a huge IPO. Right. Well, that and was the other soaked yeah. that thing for everything well, they could get out of it. Right. That, that's the other thing too is that it was not only a huge IPO. Right before they they actually priced it, they raised the price mm-hmm. yep. and they raised the number of shares. Right, and that those two is sort of a rarity. Right. Usually, you do one or the other. So you had Morgan Stanley managing the Facebook IPO, Goldman Sachs's turn for Twitter, and they showed showed us how to do it correctly in that instance. So now we're back to Morgan Stanley for Snapchat. Yeah, with Goldman Sachs to the right. But I think key. I mean, another key thing to this is. The idea of conservatism, which I mean, you can you could scoff at a twenty to twenty two billion dollar company even right now. Some people can question that valuation, but at least having the eye towards, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the next two weeks, but I would be surprised if they you know up this a lot. It, it probably, in theory, usually that you'd rather start low, right, and go higher. Right. The optics of that. But to do it in like a really aggressive way and aggressively sell more shares, I'd be surprised to see this. I think there's a real eye toward being more conservative with this. So, so there's like a nice pop to not try to maximize every last. By way of, agreeing with, by way of agreeing with you, they're obviously murdering it on the substance of this, right? They're going to raise three and a half or four billion dollars here. So how it looks matters way more than any dollar amount, like an extra dollar per share couldn't right. possibly matter mm-hmm. at this moment. But if it's perceived to be a problem deal or in any way a failure, that would matter much more. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. momentum is what they're playing for at this moment. And a crazy thing I remember about the, the Facebook IPO was we, we – remember we did it? We did the live news show on it, Grocer? Because yeah, it was right around like poor Paul had thirty or had, something. Right. I mean so – Any listener of this podcast knows <laughs> your great skill and you can talk. <laughs> and Paul, I, only, Paul sadly, on the morning of the skill. Facebook IPO had to talk. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> they put us on uh, live. We do the, the, the Money Beat show when we're doing the show. We do it live. Uh, it was Ralph Winkler and myself. Ralph was going to be the guest, you know, the expert, and I was just the host. And we were going to be on for, you know, seven or eight minutes. And we said, well, we're going to wait until Facebook has the first trade. Let's wait until they have the first trade, you know. <laughs> right. How many hours later? <laughs> oh, it was like 45 minutes or something. Right. Like, just – Nowhere to go. We no. couldn't go to a commercial <laughs> break because you're waiting for the first trade. Right. Uh, nothing to do. Literally, we sat there and just talked. For, and I was lucky that Rolf knew a lot about it. I mean, he did more talking than I did. Well, but, that was the, the other thing, too. Rolf is known for, like, basically memorizing S1. Right. So yeah. that's, he, he, he can bring that knowledge and, and to bear. We, it literally, like, you ever see people do the, the thing with the hands? You know, like, they stretch the hands out. You know, like, stall, <laughs> stall. 45 minutes, we had a stall. And it was just, it was Unbelievable, but I mean, you're right. I mean, the reputation of that IPO was terrible, but they made a ton of money. They took all the dollars off. They the took table. all the dollars off the table, and in the long term, yeah, who cares? Didn't matter. They were set Didn't up matter. in a way right. that was appropriate to a very confident team, right? As this team is mm-hmm. obviously very confident, so confident that they're selling non-voting shares. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They've taken away all the tools that angry shareholders might use to sort of cause trouble later. So they're obviously in it for the long haul here. And also, I mean, like the other the, with Facebook, Facebook was clearly able to like, you know, I remember the, those July a year later, those results in July, they just had flipped the lever and decided we're going to start generating ad revenue from mobile. And it has been taking off since then. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about Snap is that this deal is priced as if Snap has figured out how to do that. Right. That they're, they have the lever in the back and they're just going to throw it. It's going to start working. 
And so investors are being asked, I mean, Maureen and I were joking on the phone when we were talking about this. It's like when you go look at apartments in New York, right? The, the fixer-upper, bring your architect, you know, <laughs> realize your vision inside of this empty shell, but it's $6,000 a foot, you know, like yes. the perfect renovation is already priced into the whole thing and you're going to be in sawdust for three years before you get the thing back. So this is a little bit like that. I mean, with this loss profile, with the questions of growth and the user base, and we still really haven't seen what monetization looks like. They're pricing it as if they're going to do a Facebook, but it really it's what comes next that's the wow. big question. And then, you know, I think another question for, for you, especially, Maureen, is, okay, this is going to be a high-profile IPO. It's going to be one of those buzzy, big deal-y kind of Wall Street things that they love to talk about and get everyone excited about and blah, blah, blah. Um, it, does it does it represent anything larger for the IPO market and for the street? Is it a one-off? You know, like are there any other ramifications to this that that you know our listeners should be watching out for? So I'd say two huge things. I mean, this is huge for the street. It's huge for all the unicorns. Everyone, everyone the, in Silicon the Valley, private startups that are worth more than a billion. Yes, exactly. all our listeners probably know that one. They're they're savvy, but you know, <laughs> got to help. so it's it's huge both for all of those companies. They're watching. If this doesn't go well, we're not going to see another tech. IPO for, you know, probably two quarters easily. Yeah. Everyone will be scared off. They've been scared off already. We've talked about this many times in this program. We've seen such a dearth of IPOs. So if this goes well, I think there, there's a number. We might not see Airbnb or Uber, but we could see like the march of a lot of the companies that have been waiting to finally go. Like, sure, sure. Like, we'll see a higher public valuation potentially than a private valuation. That will give them some enthusiasm to move forward and test the public well, markets. But... The other big thing is just the of the larger theme that this represents is finally having something to buy in the tech world. Correct. Some so volume, think, yeah, some so actual product to buy for the buyers. And that's what I wonder if the upside to this to the overall market is maybe might be li- or to the IPO market might be limited just because everyone sort of has to own Snap. But, you know, outside of the unicorns, maybe not like the other smaller tech IPOs. There might not be the demand or appetite, or I mean, what? A, I think there's a huge appetite. I mean, we saw it last year with a few that came out, like Twilio and Nutanix. These were names no one really knew before. I mean, Twilio had point. something you know it was akin to you use it to call an Uber, so people were thinking about it like that. I think people overall, if it's a terrible deal, it's not going to go anywhere. Of course, people are savvy enough, but if it's a decent deal, even the smaller ones, I think. Investors seem so hungry for any new issuance and any way to get so-called alpha that they're going to look closely, definitely at this one, but I think at a lot of others yeah. also if they come. Let's uh, let's take a break there. We will come back on the other side. More on Snap. We have Rhett Wallace from Triton here talking to him, and we're going we're gonna to dig into the numbers next. So next segment is going to be really fun. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs, drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.
Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Money Beat. And for more great Wall Street Journal podcasts, don't forget, you can check us out at W. W is not a difficult letter, right? WSJ.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. You can subscribe to us. Look, we're on iHeartRadio, Amazon Echo, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music app. Are we on Snap? Snapchat? Whatever they call it, whatever the cool kids call it. No, we are We're not. not. They mm. don't. They do not have the that capability. They don't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't know because I had because I took the app off my phone. Um, just should I tell the story quickly? My, my snap story. You're, you're not in the demo. They don't want uh, you. They no. They don't want me. Uh, I am outside the demo. I'm way uh, of of. You mean people who actually use it? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You know, they're they're talking to a teenage audience, right? You, yeah, you, I mean, you, you make too much money. Oh, yeah. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for, for trying to say that. Red. Uh, yeah, I, I have to just say, I mean, I, I found it unusable. I just found it. I, I downloaded it. You know, WSJ put a channel on there. I thought, OK, I'm going to learn. You know, I should learn. If we're going to use it, I should learn it. You know, uh, I, I just found, I deleted it. I couldn't I couldn't find a single person on it. I couldn't figure out how to find people. I spent 40 minutes. Uh, going by email back and forth with one of our reporters in Europe who was trying to talk me through how to find her on Snapchat. And, and finally, I, I was ready to throw the phone against the And I finally just gave I just deleted I deleted the app. I said, this is clearly not for me. I, I absolutely give up on this. I fortunately had a six-year-old to help teach me, my six-year-old, how to use it. <laughs> really? <laughs> She's like, how do you? I had no idea how to use it. Uh, it's said, unbelievable. This is how you make the dog face. It- her cousin's daughter. It's a really weird thing. Why? Why? Before we get into actual number, you know, why does this thing seem so intuitive to other some people and to others? That's it just scary. seems. I know I'm not the only person out there who finds it unusable. So why? You age out of it, I think, and have to be like introduced by someone. I think at it, age. it comes down to motivation often, right? If you're 14 and all your friends are on it, you're just gonna do what you yeah. have to do to learn how to make that thing work because your life actually depends on it. And Paul still has a flip phone, so he's not used to. I, I have a smartphone too. I, you know, I had the app. I mean, I have a smartphone. So but yes, take... I, I have this flip phone also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gross. So evidently, as part of this, I've heard through the as this process has gone on that you know, as their staff has been on the road, they did these testing the waters meetings ahead of the roadshow actually launching. That was one of the things they're doing because you can assume that most portfolio managers are older really? than their sure. demographics. So there is like a real tour of saying, this is how you use Snapchat. This is how you see a story. This is how you might text a friend. Actually, <laughs> Snap a friend, not Interestingly, text. the S1 does go into huge amounts of product detail with schematics and pictures <laughs> for this oh, really? to explain yep. it to older audiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, let's get to the real heart of this thing. Yeah. So we're talking about a $22 billion, uh, yeah, grocer. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to, I want to just jump on like the sort of user growth because let's face it, that has been, I think, Twitter's Achilles um, and, you know, for all these sort of social media companies, that's the most important thing. You know, Snapchat, I think they've they grown 46, their user base by 46%. But the same What time period are you talking about that? Over the, the last sort of year, okay. I think it was. Um, but they're spending high. a lot of money 
to, mm-hmm. to sort of attract users. Isn't that correct? Totally. Well, also, they say that the user base is the most important thing. And certainly without a user base, nothing else matters. But really, having a user base that you don't monetize yeah. doesn't make people feel good about handing over $3.5 billion, <laughs> as they're getting ready to do. Right. So, again, our are, you, are you sure about that? Because it seems like in the past people have handed over that kind of money <laughs> for non-monetization user bases. Uh, I mean, I never want to judge the motivations of others too thoroughly because you never know in this crazy world. But it seems to me that the thesis here for this company is that if you have a big user base, they will somehow, without too much risk, figure out how to monetize it. Mm-hmm. It seems to us when we look at this thing that monetization is not something that you can take for granted ever – especially not when you have to go take the money away from Google and Facebook, which is what hmm. these guys now have to do. Uh, yeah, d- d- dive into that a little bit so, more. So the, the jokey articulation that we sort of landed on here was that what these guys have to perform is the triple Lindy, which anybody who saw Back to School knows yep. how hard the triple Lindy is, <laughs> that only Rodney Dangerfield could actually do that, right? And the triple Lindy in this case is, is a dive that's really, really difficult three different ways because they have to win in zero-sum environments against three different directions. The first is they have to keep getting the users. Users right now, like population doesn't really grow. U.S. population only grows like half a percent a year. 24-hour day just kind of is what it is. You're up against reality there, right? So user hours have to come from somewhere else. They got to go get the users to con- and convince them to spend their hours on this thing. So that's one for the user base. Then in order to sell ads to those people, the ads don't sell themselves. They got to go hire the salespeople who are going to go generate all of this ad revenue. Well, guess what? All of those good salespeople already have very nice jobs. Thank you very much at (laughs) Facebook and Google and other places in convincing those people to leave and give up all of the benefits of working for these platforms that are already working to take a bunch of risk on stock that might be worth more tomorrow, non-trivial risk. And then if they can pull that off, right? They have to go convince their old customers that they called on when they were at Facebook and Google to hand over the revenue to Snapchat. And guess what? Ad budget also not growing, right? So users not growing, salespeople not growing, ad budget not growing. They have to convince three different categories of stuff Hmm. to reallocate themselves against the Snapchat platform. So we know, and and, you know, they've given us some numbers, but not as, as many as, as maybe they could. But we know that most of their re- their revenue does come from advertising. Almost mm-hmm. exclusively, right. except for I think 4% of revenue came from their spectacles. I mean, what kind of advertising do they have on this thing and how val- – I mean, t- Twitter you know, has the same problem, right? They have – you know, whatever their user numbers are, they do have a platform with a lot of people looking at it. Yep. They can't figure out how to put ads on that thing to make money. What is Snapchat doing or not doing? So what they do is, you know, they have different kinds of ad than on Twitter that you'll see if you're looking through the stories, one will pop up and it's a full, what they say is it's more lucrative because it's a full screen ad that you can't really, it's hard to turn the sound off with a lot of them. You can't not see it and then it just moves on. So they should be able to generate more revenue from it. And Rhett, to the point of taking away ad budget from Facebook and Google, not to say that's not a high hurdle and there's a lot to prove to do that. But on the flip side, from the WPPs of the world, the um, ad big, ad agencies, the bed, big yeah. ad agencies, there's an incentive. I mean, they're scared of Google and Facebook. They want Snapchat. This to is totally true. Interesting. This is true. More so, diversity in the world is good for the big big guys who actually have budget. They don't mm-hmm. want to send it all to the same places. That's so they're rooting for them from there. But I mean, of course, if it's not, if they don't see a return on their right. investment, they're not going to do it just to 
I mean, they want to see something from it, yes, but they definitely... We hear from advertisers also the agencies want diversity because the agencies like to play the platforms off each other, Mm -hmm. but also the advertisers like to have different places to do things. You know, if they didn't, we would still see all the ads on 30-second TV spots, Mm -hmm. right? Like being in the new cool thing is really fun for advertisers that are trying to differentiate their brands. And when you can't see it's hard like the millennials or younger than them don't watch tv in the same way so this is somewhere you know not the word eyeballs which is dangerous but that is where their eyeballs are that's all and it's always been the audience that advertisers have tried to sort of reach that 18 to 35 so it might be a little bit higher but that is the audience advertisers like to reach they do not want as we pointed out, Paul or, or myself. <laughs> wow, yeah, really? Well, I'm getting picked on? Okay, yes, I am 48 years old. Uh, yes, you're right. I am not a teenager. And but you know set, what I do you, have? But you are you know what I do have that teenagers don't have? Got my own money. Right. But you are <laughs> That's set, what I have. But you are set. Not as much as I'd like, but I got my own. But you are set in your buying habits for the most part. Yeah, and they stink. Advertisers yeah. must hate me. Uh, let's talk about this. $22 billion valuation. Yep. What is that being built off of, and how confident should I be in that number? I mean, to kind of take me through the real what, what we do and don't know about this company. Well, so there are a couple of benchmarks that they're stuck with, like it or not. One of them is how much the value was in the private market when they raised money previously, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like we're starting from nothing as far as what this company is worth. And so there's only so much of a discount that you would want to or be able to impose on the large shareholders that have put all the money into this thing so far. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, I think Maureen correctly pointed out, the signaling is very important here. That you know, if you do what Square did and cut the price down pretty significantly and signal weakness on the way in, that has consequences for you also. But if you try to benchmark this thing against the multiples that other companies trade at, it's very, very hard to make sense out of this. Really? In the sense that the, the premium to Facebook that you're paying on a multiple basis suggests, again, that this beautiful renovation is already in the apartment and it's totally worth $6,000 a foot as it is, as opposed to they still have the triple Lindy in front of them to perform. Okay. What about competition? Because, you know, Facebook has made a lot of noise about mm-hmm. trying to create you know, the Snapchat kind of killer, I guess. Well, Facebook tried to buy them, Yeah. right? So when you turn down Facebook, Facebook is obviously internally thinking we're going to buy it or we're going to build it. When they can't buy it, what are they going to do? They're going to build it. So we know that they're up against that, and we've seen it in Instagram stories already. And it's very much like sort of old Microsoft sort of play. (laughs) And we did see, and that that is one thing going into the roadshow, a lot of investors talked about wanting to hear from them how they're going to insulate themselves against the Facebook events the you know the big behemoths in the world right. coming at them and they did see and that that's what investors in the testing the waters meeting said they wish they had heard more and you know maybe they will on the road show very likely they will get a lot of questions about this is they saw a, a dip in user growth once uh, instagram launched these stories that were directly in competition because they disappear within i think 24 hours they saw a slowdown in user growth so you know, they want to hear about that directly and what happens when other companies launch the disappearing app to compete with them or whatever right. it is. So they're going to have to show, give investors something that they feel comfortable with on that front. Totally. So even though their user base is slowing in its growth, it's not a foregone conclusion that Facebook and Google aren't going to come for this user base and try to move some of these guys away. And we all know the math about networks, right? Networks grow in value geometrically as you add users. And guess what? It works the same in reverse. Yeah. When the user starts to leave, the thing falls apart mm-hmm. in a nonlinear way. 
their big argument in terms of valuation, one of the ones that they've made, and I think they will continue to do so on the roadshow very likely, is their aggregate number of users. We saw most recently was around, uh, in the last quarter, 158 million users, daily active users in general, um, or on average over the course of the quarter, is much smaller than Facebook or, you know, by a, by a lot. Oh, yeah. Much smaller than it was at the time of their IPO at Facebook's. But they're concentrated in the U.S., Canada, Europe. So what they're saying is we might have less, few, a lot fewer users, but Overall. they're in they're the more highly revenue generating users. Hmm. You know, if and when we turn this on, yeah. if that happens, but you can bet it's it's bigger than it looks essentially. On the face I mean, of what's it, interesting is just looking at the users. So that one fifty eight compares to three seventeen at Twitter. So Twitter twice as big. You mean right now? Right now. Yeah. Right. So. And those are daily active users, right? Well, this is another one that's funny, right? Every, the world transacts in monthly active users, but Snap likes to do daily active users to be not comparable. Maybe that's because they know something the rest of us but don't. But Facebook them. does. Um, Twitter does not give right. those out. Facebook and, does regularly. And, and again, just you know, so people know for comparability, Facebook at a billion and a quarter. So 1.25 billion overall versus 158 million at Snap, right? So the magnitudes are really stark here, just as far as how much bigger these other platforms are. But, you know, to get to, again, the Twitter comparison, for all of the reasons that you wouldn't want to be compared to Twitter, Twitter does have twice as many users today. Yeah. You know, even though that user number isn't growing like it used to. And still can't make it profitable. Um, well, it is, it's a lot more profitable than Snap is right now. That's for sure. <laughs> but still, I mean, on a bottom line, gap basis, Twitter is not profitable. They are uh, not making money. Twitter actually had a 30% EBITDA margin right. last year. So, but, they, so they make money at the EBITDA line. Right, at the EBITDA line, yeah. not at the bottom one. Though. I mean, you know, again, the accounting for right. how you do that is – but but the ship holds water. Yeah. The 30% EBITDA margin. It's not Facebook's 60% right. EBITDA margin. You know, that's pretty enviable. That's what being the big dog looks yeah. like. But, you know, uh, again, for comparison purposes, you have 30% EBITDA margins at Twitter versus negative 114% EBITDA margins you at know, Snap. One thing about it, too, is, is you talk about the money. Um, I know Snap has something, what is it, like 1,800 employees or something? Mm-hmm. I mean, do they have just a, a very, very low cost of operations? I mean, will it be easier for them to make profits because they're so small, relatively speaking? I don't know. The, I'm literally asking. One of the know. things that they flag for investors in their S1 is that because they're in Santa Monica, California, their costs are actually higher for people than they would be if they were in other places. Hmm. Well, that's one of the – also, like, after an IPO, you tend to see those go up. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I think that they are not trying to compete on cost at this point given their loss profile. <laughs> is, All right. I mean, uh, anything else? We got to yeah. I mean, a I was second. Just, here, I, but anything else? Was there any other numbers we haven't hit on that sort yeah. of you know stick out as you know flags? Well, can I one one for me? We brought this up a little bit earlier. Is zero, and again, that's the number of votes you get if you buy Snap stock. Yeah. And they said in their S one, this is essentially unprecedented. No, we don't know of any other company that has done this. So, I'll, what wow. I think is, if they do this, if they get it done. This is something that everyone's moved more towards. They're just the furthest extreme of the founder control. They have control essentially forever. These founders, there's no sunset provision. If this works, I think we're going to – we've already seen companies pushing the envelope, the companies that can, that are the right, hot right. companies. More I think we're we'll, going to we'll keep on it. seeing this. So do I All get right. to throw Rhett. you a number? Yeah, Here, you're going to get the number. last word. My number is $6.2 billion. 
which here's is- how I get there. So if you have $22 billion to spend, right, you could buy Snap or you could buy Twitter plus GoPro plus Warby Parker plus Fitbit to get wearables, eyeglasses, cameras, and a social network. And you have $6.2 billion left, which is enough to buy a Nimitz-class nuclear aircraft carrier. <laughs> wow. I like that. That is quite a portfolio you would have at that point. That would be pretty badass. Evan would yeah. love to have a Nimitz-class nuclear aircraft carrier. Right? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Uh, all right. Rhett Wallace, Triton, thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Marine, as always, thanks thanks for coming on. Uh, And everyone, thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you again shortly. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.